Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program brought to you by RNZ Sport. I'm Matt Chitterton. Well, this weekend will be one of, if not the busiest in the New Zealand sporting calendar with major events happening both here and abroad. Kicking off the weekend, the New Zealand men's football team face Peru in the first leg of the FIFA World Cup playoff in Wellington. The All-Whites will have to overcome a team ranked 112, yes you heard that correctly, places higher than them if they are to qualify for the tournament for just the third time. Local fans are cautious about the prospect of the All-Whites reaching Russia next year, but there is confidence within the camp, as Barry Guy reports. And it comes into the All-Whites box, up go far away, Ashton with it, saves it nicely. It's a all-over. The All-Whites win 1-0. In 2009, the All-Whites ended 28 years in the World Cup wilderness by beating Bahrain in their playoff game at the same ground. While that was quite an achievement, the prospect of doing the same this time is probably more difficult. Peru have made the finals four times, but their last was in 1982. Since then, they've gone through some tough times and fell to number 82 in the world rankings in 2008. However, since then, they've risen up the rankings and under the guidance of Argentinian coach Ricardo Goreca, just missed out on automatic qualification for Russia. Carlos Gonzalez is a Peruvian who now lives in Wellington and he says while New Zealanders may be passionate about their All Blacks, it doesn't compare to Peru's football fans. I would say it's stronger than rugby to New Zealand. The football over there, is, 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 you get fanatics there. We play football in the streets. I'm amazed when I see here fields, green fields, and nobody's playing on them. Over there we have to fight for those fields and actually play on the streets, really. The excitement surrounding Peruvian games should be evident at Westpac Stadium. However, the All-Whites defender Andrew Durante doesn't expect any visiting fans to overshadow the local support. I'm expecting the New Zealand crowd to definitely overshadow anything that they can produce. And, and it's going to be a special night. Um, I was in the stands for the Bahrain game. The people of New Zealand come out in force, uh, wearing all white, making as much noise as possible. And it's, you know, it's pretty special. Westpac Stadium full. I've seen it a few times and it's, it's a special place. Striker Rory Fallon was the goal-scoring hero against Bahrain eight years ago, and while he says it's time for this team to move on from that success, he says a similar cauldron of excitement tomorrow will help the home side. You don't get that atmosphere in New Zealand at any type of code. It was an unbelievable experience, and we could achieve that now. All we need is a good night and them to have a bad night, because if we get something out of that, whether it be a nil-nil or whatever... We can go to Peru and just think, OK, this is it. A record crowd of 38,000 is expected at Westpac Stadium. 
Among them hoping for further World Cup success is local fan Andy, who, like many New Zealand supporters, is cautious about a win this time. A draw would be a fantastic result for the Kiwis. Um, probably a fantastic side. Um, you know, they didn't get 10th in the world for nothing. And uh, if we can uh, hold them to a draw and then we snatch a goal over there, game on. Pressure's on them. And that pressure is possibly the All-Whites' best chance. Peru are expected to win. And so how will they respond? White's defender, Tommy Smith. The expectation that weighs on them is a burden they have to carry, and I think we'll, we're prepared for them anyway. We know what they're going to offer, and uh, we think if we can get on top at home especially, um, the pressure might get to them. So at least a draw is a possibility tomorrow, Wellington, but local Peruvian Carlos Gonzalez says the All-Whites will know what a hostile environment is when they play in Lima in the return leg next week. They'll be jumping and screaming the whole 90 minutes inside the stadium and they're playing in a, in a big stadium. So um, from the time they arrive to the airport, they'll feel what it is in Peru, what football is really. And as in every country, you get the bad people mixed with the good people and there might be people that might try not to let them sleep at night, for example, it's chanting outside a hotel and things like that. But hopefully people will behave. The All-Whites Peru tie is one of seven matchups over the next week that will decide the final makeup for next year's World Cup in Russia. Well, joining me now is the man with that report, Barry Guy. Barry, what is the atmosphere like in Wellington? Is it starting to build for the game? Well, it's built up during the week, uh, Matt, uh, a little bit slow earlier in the week, and, and perhaps those that were going to the game, they've been chatting about it for a while, and uh, the interest has been growing. But as far as the city is concerned, it uh, really wasn't until Friday that uh, you started to see the colour, uh, the red and white. Uh, the Peruvians have been turning up, um, I believe, a large contingent from Auckland, uh, has come to Wellington for the game and also there is a, a lot of Peruvians in Australia and supposedly a, a large number of them have flown over for the game as well. Um, and locally, um, I know that uh, there are plenty of people coming from out of town. I, I actually believe there's something like at least half of the uh, the ground for, for the locals are going to be people from out of the Wellington region. So, you know, a lot of football fans from around the country are going to be here. So for really Friday, it's, it's been building up and, you know, the media has had uh, plenty of interest in it because after all, it is a, a World Cup, a chance to get to another World Cup. And um, it's, a, it's a big deal for New Zealand football. You mentioned the word chance. What is the realistic chance that New Zealand can win this two-leg qualifier? Well, if we look at uh, two ways, I suppose. The first one on paper, and, you know, games never won on paper, but Peru being so highly ranked, uh, they play in a uh, huge uh, confederation, South America, so sort of annually they're playing teams like Brazil and Argentina and Uruguay, so they get plenty of experience there, and also, uh, you know, large, well, most of their team is playing in leagues around the world. Um, So... Really, they are the favourites. Uh, the TAB has them as uh, favourites. And I think everyone, pretty much everyone in New Zealand concedes that they are favourites and they are expected to win. But because they are expected to win, that then gives the All-Whites a chance. You know, you look at the All-Whites and there is uh, plenty of experience there. In But we're a bit thin, you know. Chris Wood, uh, Winston Reid... Uh, lead the way, really, and there have been other ones there. Tommy Smith, uh, Michael McGlinchey's been around for a long time. So there have been plenty of players from New Zealand that have been playing internationally for a long time. But again, 
the depth may be tested. If, if we keep our top side on the field for both legs, then they have a chance. And the All-Whites made a point of that, actually. They said the pressure's on Peru, who haven't been there since 82. Uh, they're expected to be there. They're the 10th-ranked team in the world, and if the 10th-ranked team can't get to the Olymp- uh, the uh, World Cup, then that, that says something about it. So maybe that might play on their mind. And if they can uh, keep it close here in Wellington and go to Lima with a chance, then maybe that pressure may be too much for uh, the Peruvians. Should still be a great spectacle uh, in Wellington this weekend, though, shouldn't it? Given, I mean, I imagine there are a fair few people out there that will have uh, memories of uh, Bahrain in 09 at, at Wellington Stadium. Do you think we might see similar scenes this year? I think there'll be plenty of noise. Um, as long as uh, perhaps the All-Whites don't fall behind uh, too much too early, um, I've spoken to a, a lot of people. There was talk that perhaps Wellington should, Wellington should try and turn on its worst day possible with wind and rain and all those sorts of things. It helps our chances. But all of the football fans I've spoken to, they've said, oh, you know, it might help. But really, they want great conditions, a great crowd, and to see some great football. If it means New Zealand's able to sneak something out of it, great. But um, as far as they're concerned, they're there for the spectacle, to see some of the best footballers in the world and uh, to make it a, a special occasion with the possibility of uh, a uh, outstanding result for New Zealand. Barry Guy, thank you very much. And make sure you enjoy being at that game at Westpac Stadium. Kickoff is around 4 o'clock on Saturday. The Samoan Rugby Union and World Rugby are at loggerheads this week on the eve of Manu Samoa's matches against Scotland and England. Earlier this week, the SRU chairman, who's also the Samoan Prime Minister, told local media that the organisation is bankrupt. He also said that there was no money to pay for player insurance and the head coach's salary. A World Rugby statement, however, said the sports governing body had actually increased their indirect investment in the SRU's high-performance program to about $3 million in 2017. I spoke to RNZ international sport reporter Vinnie Wiley, who told me earlier that a lot of the fault here lies with the SRU. They have, in many ways, put themselves in this position in terms of having no money on hand or being bankrupt as it was put by the Prime Minister because what World Rugby have done is whilst they invest a lot of money in Samoa and Fiji and Tonga etc and, and they trumpeted that in a release and a statement overnight they've also withheld a bit of funding um, in, in recent months from Samoa Rugby because Samoa Rugby have made a few decisions in uh, the last year or more that uh, World Rugby haven't been too pleased with there was of course those wide-ranging reforms that were touted a couple of years back and there's been a lot of progress at Samoa Rugby. There's um, you know, been some changes in management and whatnot, but there's still no representative for World Rugby on Samoa's board. And the board um, had to appoint a new coach when Alama Itamia resigned uh, and an independent panel interviewed um, you know, a number of candidates. And uh, the man that eventually got the job, uh, Tiki Taufoa, uh, a former coach of Manu Samoa, he was ranked seventh by that panel. So they had a recommended candidate who they thought should get the job after their interviews. Um, he didn't get the job. Uh, he wasn't the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth selection, but the one that got the job was ranked seventh. Um, so the suggestion there, of course, is that it was already a you know done deal. You know why would you go for the seventh candidate when you've got six others in front? They clearly haven't taken the advice of the independent panel. They've just ignored it and they've selected somebody who they know, who was previously the head coach, who they're mates with, 
and who, funnily enough, was a board member of the Samoa Rugby Union. So the Samoa Rugby Union board has selected a board member of the Samoa Rugby Union to coach the team, despite there being better candidates, um, as you know, indicated by the independent panel. And uh, because of that, World Rugby have withheld funding, including the salary for the head coach, because they don't agree with the appointment. They also don't agree with the process. They weren't told about it. The decision was made. It was you know, released to the media or leaked to the media, and World Rugby found out via the media. So they're meant to get a heads up on these situations. They didn't. Similar, similar situations have happened in recent times with um, the sacking of the Sevens coach last year, Damien McGrath, who had won a tournament on the World Series leg and then got the dump when they missed out on the Olympics. Um, World Rugby weren't happy with that either. So it's it's about processes. It's about giving a heads up. It's about, you know, I guess, you know, when you're relying on a lot of income from a body like World Rugby, you probably should keep them on side. Although the Prime Minister has made a few comments to say that they're not just lapdogs, they're not just rubber stampers, that they can make their own decisions. But he's also admitted himself that they don't have money and that they don't know where they're going to get money. So you can't on one hand uh, claim to be independent, on, on the other hand plead poverty. Is, is there a way forward? What, what, can, what can be done in this situation? Well, I mean, obviously, if they want to get that funding from World Rugby, which they'd already earmarked for you know, high performance and paying the coach and, every, and you know, everything else in between, if they want to get that money access to it again, they, they are obviously going to have to um, satisfy World Rugby's demands, which, uh, would, include, um, which would include, obviously, um, a, a bit of a heads-up and keeping them informed over what's actually happening. Um, a justifiable reason why they selected the seventh best candidate for the role. Um, I, I mean, I would specu- I'm speculating here. I don't know, but uh, depending how strongly World Rugby feels, who knows? You know, if if they would accept the appointment remaining in charge, I I don't know. They've obviously got a northern tour right now that is being paid for. You know, the players are overseas. All that stuff's covered by World Rugby. Um, so the tour is happening ahead, regardless. But um, there's a bit of time before June next year, which is when Samoa host a Rugby World Cup home and away qualifier against a European team and that's going to determine where they go to Japan in two years' time. So that's a pretty crucial moment for them in rugby and they don't want to get that wrong. Um, they've had this fundraiser uh, earlier this week where they raised 140000 US dollars. Uh, some ex-players in the UK have also started up sort of a giving page which is probably going to raise thousands and thousands of pounds as well. So the, the, they're getting a bit of money into the coffers which is going to help them but this is all short-term one-off money. They... They do need that sustained funding from World Rugby and um, the only way they're going to get it is if uh, they, uh, I guess, on some level, secede to World Rugby's um, requests. That was RNZ international sport reporter Vinnie Wiley talking to me there. The Kiwis back rower Simon Mannering says his team can't afford to let their emotions get the better of them in tomorrow night's Rugby League World Cup match with Tonga in Hamilton. Four players, including superstar Jason Taumalolo, defected from the New Zealand team to Tonga on the eve of the Kiwis team naming for the tournament with the winner of tomorrow's game to top Paul B. Mannering says any leftover feelings from that whole defection saga need to be left off the pitch before tomorrow's game. Yeah, I think that's where we've probably, probably fallen into the trap in the past. This is going to be our, our toughest challenge yet. No disrespect to our previous opposition, but um, it's going to be a good, good challenge for our group to know where we're at and see what we can build on and get there. Simon Mannering there. At the time, New Zealand coach David Kidwell said he respected those players' decisions. 
but was disappointed they couldn't pick up the phone and tell him firsthand. Now, though, Kidwell says the whole saga is water under the bridge and is moving on. Time, I suppose, heals, and, um, you know, Jason's playing for Tonga, and we've got guys playing for, for New Zealand. So, um, like I said before, if the opportunity arises and I get to talk to him, 100% of them. Hopefully Kidwell gets his chance to talk to those players tomorrow. Kickoff for the game is at 5pm at Waikato Stadium. The New Zealand Women's Golf Open organisers have been left blindsided this week by the LPGA's announcement that they're planning on moving the tournament from September next year to February 2019, meaning if that does happen, there'll be a 16-month gap between the inaugural tournament and the second running of it. This year's event in September was an LPGA-sanctioned event for the first time, but it was severely disrupted by wet and windy weather, so much so the fourth round had to be pushed to a fifth day. Earlier this week, the LPGA Tour Commissioner Mike Wan told the Golf Channel in America that the event is to be rescheduled for early 2019, but he didn't directly tell organisers first. Following Wan's announcement, I talked to tournament director Michael Goldstein, who said while it did come as a surprise to him, he can understand the LPGA's reasoning. I think that the tournament will uh, grow in in terms of strength of field and um, spectator experience in the summer months. Um, um, It's likely, as you mentioned, that we'll have uh, access to better players, and certainly from a logistics perspective, it's easier for the players to come from New Zealand to Australia. So, um, you know, there's definitely positives of, of moving to the summer months, but that just needs to be, um, you know, considered in light of the, the financial realities. I know you're uh, going through the review process at the moment of, of the tournament. Uh, what has sort of some of the feedback you've got from um, uh, players and, I guess, uh, you know, organisers from the LPGA's perspective? Were, were they uh, happy with uh, with the tournament as a whole? You know, the initial feedback was fantastic. I think, you know, we created a historic event for New Zealand and, there was tens of thousands of spectators that came out and watched. Um, I think Lydia was a fantastic tournament host, and and the week was really special for golf in New Zealand. So, you know, it's been a great buzz for golf, not just that tournament, but the following Asia Pacific Amateur Championship. Um, we've had a great couple of months in New Zealand with golf, and um, let's hope we can keep it going into the future. New Zealand Women's Open Tournament Director Michael Goldstein. Finally, the first athletes for New Zealand's Commonwealth Games team to the Gold Coast have been named. Five triathletes headed by seasoned campaigner Andrea Hewitt, who won a bronze in the event in Melbourne, have been selected. Ryan Sissons is the other Games veteran named in the team, along with debutantes Rebecca Spence, Nicole Vanderkay and Taylor Reid. It'll all be their first time competing at the Commonwealth Games. Stephen Hewson spoke to Hewitt and asked her what keeps her going at 35 years of age. Still enjoying the training and all the travelling and um, and still doing really well. So, yeah, that's how this year went really well. Uh, I started the year with two wins in Abu Dhabi and the Gold Coast, and that was um, that was part of the qualification and the criteria for the Commonwealth Games. So, but today I think it was more exciting about the. Um, the juniors, the two 21-year-olds that were named in the team for their first games and also for Rebecca Spence. 
the, the com games too. You've got the, the individual and the mixed. I suppose that adds uh, another element to things. Gold Coast too. It's going to be a sprint distance for the individual race. So it really suits the younger athletes. They don't have to run the 10 kilometres on the run. It's only 5 kilometres. So it is a faster event. And, yeah, with the team relay, we're only swimming, I think it's 300 metres. Um, the race is about 20 minutes long. So it really is for the fast. Yeah, for the fast athletes. Individually, then, does that perhaps not quite suit you, the distance? Uh, saying that, I still won on the Gold Coast this year in the test event, so it still suits me. I can still run five too fast. It's just that, um, like, in the ten or so years that I've been competing, I even more started as an Olympic distance athlete and always trained for that distance for the Olympics and for the Commonwealth Games. But next year, it's changed to the sprint format, so. Yeah, it's just something different and um, a new challenge to, to get ready for a 5K rather than a 10K run. The event on the Gold Coast this year, was that over the same course that you'll face next year? Yeah, exactly the same. So it was a test event for the Commonwealth Games this year for next year. So it was one year in advance and exactly the same course. Um, of course, the swim conditions are going to be different. The weather could be different as well. The, the tides could be different and, yeah, if it's not... 27 degrees, it could be 30 degrees, so, yeah, but it was the same course. But how do you feel about competing in the heat? Do you quite quite enjoy that? Yeah, I prefer the heat so much better than the cold. So this year there was a mixture. We had some really cold events uh, in Japan and in Rotterdam and where it was raining, and then some really warm events like in Abu Dhabi and Gold Coast, and I did a lot better in the warm events, so it's good for Commonwealth Games. Or what's been able to, to keep you going? What What is it that drives you to continue? Well, I still enjoy it. Like every day I go out training and it doesn't... I mean, it's hard. It doesn't... Um, it's not always easy, but I just enjoy it. And I'm, I always think about the racing. I know that um, I'm training to race, so I think that drives me as well, The the all the competitions that I get to compete in. And, yeah, I haven't got bored of it, and I haven't had any setbacks as such. Like, I haven't had the bad results that some athletes have had and, or bad patches, and that's when uh, when things start going wrong. That's normally when you second-guess yourself if you should continue or not. I've never really had – well, I haven't had that, so that's why I guess I've continued, and, yeah, then I'm still doing well, so I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, how long can you see yourself going for? Uh, well, since Glasgow, I think it was, I've been going year by year. So I just look forward to the next 12 months, like my next goal. So Commonwealth Games is in six months. And then, yeah, I'm not sure after that. But definitely, I, I think I'll I'll still be enjoying it. So it's really hard to stop. It's really hard to say when if I'll stop at a certain time. Andrea Hewitt talking to Stephen Hewson. Well, that is extra time for this week. There are, however, a lot of other sporting codes on over the weekend to keep an eye on. The All Blacks and Māori All Blacks are both in action in France. New Zealand driver Brendan Hartley is racing in the Brazilian Grand Prix in the Formula 1. The New Zealand women's cricketers play Pakistan in their third T20 over there. The Black Sticks are playing in Melbourne at the International Hockey Festival and the table-topping New Zealand Breakers face Perth in basketball. Good luck to all those teams playing. 
We'll have all the latest news on those events on our website. If you have any feedback about today's podcast, feel free to drop us a line, sport at radionz.co.nz. For now, though, it is goodbye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.